Welcome to Masters of Growth, an insightful podcast with some of India's most interesting minds and their ideologies. Here, they will share their experiences on their road to glory, along with any speed bumps that they may have encountered on the way. Today with us we have Dr. Bunali Datta, who specializes in pulmonary medicine and was a COVID warrior during the pandemic. She received her medical qualifications from Alana Azad Medical College, where she received her MBPS and MD while receiving her MRCP from Royal College of Physicians. It is a pleasure to have you with us today, Mrs. Datta. Um, so, Mrs. Datta, could you just tell us what inspired you? Like, could you tell us where your story began? Uh, hi, Ishan. Uh, thanks for uh, sort of talking to me, first of all. So, I mean, I've now been uh, in medicine. I've, I think I've been practicing medicine for the last 23 years. I joined uh, medicine, MBBS, uh, way back in 1980. 1990 was, my, was the year I joined in, and 1996, I passed out. And uh, since then, I've been you know, in the practice of medicine. So inspired, uh, I think that's, it's difficult sometimes to figure out what exactly inspired you, you know, something so long ago. But I think a few things. Uh, one is that my sister joined medicine. So, you know, she's some years older than me. So seeing her, I think I, it did definitely influence me to do so. Uh, the other thing I would say is that, you know, I do, I do have a very strong sense of uh, service. That's always been, you know, something with me, sort of, I want to serve and doing medicine seemed to be the uh, best way to do that. And, uh, and I was interested, I used to find it quite fascinating, uh, the way the human body works, the way, you know, so we, of course, only had exposure to biology as uh, school students, but then uh, that later translated and, and, and yes, uh, that's how I think it, uh, you know, it all started. Now that you've told us what inspired you, could you just tell us what make what motivates you on a daily basis? Like what makes your story not end? Yeah, so uh, I think the motivation is is the continuous, ongoing human interactions. I think that is one of the most fulfilling things. You know, so I remember when I was young, I used to think I just don't want to do a job that requires me to sit at a desk, you know, and just look through paper or whatever, something like that. Right. Uh, on the other hand, you know, what we do is like a, you're constantly uh, engaging with people, engaging with patients, looking after them. It's there. Uh, and of course, you don't always succeed. You know, you can do, you can practice medicine, you can do what you do, but it's not that every patient does get better or every patient is cured. But nonetheless, nonetheless, the fact that you've done your best, you've put in all your efforts, the patients who recover, their gratitude, the interactions you have, I think that kind of thing just makes you go on, makes you get out of bed and come to work every day because you know that there's that job to be done. And I think that, I think for the last, you know, ever since I passed, you know, cleared my MBBS, that's been my routine to get to hospital or work or, or when I was training as a, in MD medicine, nine sharp or sometimes it was even eight sharp you just have to be there and that I think is what drives me you know I know I have to be there because there is a very important job to be done and the and what we undergo with patients is what I think keeps me motivated on a daily basis I mean I think that's great and especially about you talking about being punctual I think everybody should have that in themselves at the end of the day 
but you talk about medicine so is there something that made you specialize in pulmonology like what made you decide to specialize in it yeah so see pulmonology it's a it's a fascinating uh, sub subdivision of medicine sub specialty of medicine rather and uh, and i remember when i was doing my md medicine the second year of our uh, uh postgraduate training we have to do a, a a project a thesis yeah so that whole year is i mean you continue with your uh, training other work but that year you have to especially focus on this as well so uh, so, so my thesis was with a uh, one of our uh, medicine professors who was a pulmonologist himself and the study that i did was a very i mean it was quite unique in india we had just got i don't know if you've heard of bipap machines which kind of support breathing so right. we didn't used to have it at that time in back in 1997 and uh, and we had just procured some uh, this uh, uh, my uh, my guide who was the professor he had procured around eight machines and we had a respiratory care unit that was an acute unit and whenever a patient came with what we call respiratory failure you know oxygen low carbon dioxide high this bipap used to be applied and it was one of the first times we were using it in india even and uh, and that was my thesis my work and every time a patient like that came i had to run to hospital and you know start the patient on this monitor the patient do lots of blood testing to see what the oxygen levels were carbon dioxide levels were were the, so that i think was the defining thing and right. i think for most of us in medicine who start off with internal medicine or general medicine as in post graduation what we do as our thesis so somebody might do it in gastroenterology somebody in nephrology but i have found that invariably that influences your further kind of you know goals a lot and definitely for me that's what it was and then and then of course i did my final respiratory training in uk and um, and it was like a it, it's the, one of the busiest uh, busiest medical specialties in in uh, uk as well and uh, i think the experience in pulmonology has just been fascinating and of course and now with covid everybody has kind of recognizes pulmonology as a you know quite uh, a significant uh, specialty uh, up till now people you know everybody's Now focus is just on cardiology, which everybody knows. Right. But now pulmonology has really, you know, come into its own. You talk about COVID, so if I'm not mistaken, you were also treating COVID patients as well, right? Yes. Yes. So absolutely. you saw the beginning of COVID when nobody actually knew anything about COVID. Now, where I think most of us know quite a lot. So could you just walk us through the journey from then to now? Sure, sure. From a doctor's uh, point of view. Yes, COVID. Yeah, no, absolutely right, Ishan. Yeah. I think COVID was something that you know none of us anticipated. We had no idea what it was, what hit us, and uh, and and you know we're just grateful now that we we were able to somehow you know plateau it with the help of vaccines and herd immunity and things like that. So it started in March 2020, right? When all of us were fairly disbelieving that oh, it's not going to affect us. You know, it is uh, not something that we're going to we have such good immunity. There's no way we can keel over the way the West has done. But of course, we were completely proven wrong two times over when the first wave started. So April, we started having patients in uh, my hospital, Medanta. and it was a trickle at first and uh, then of course it became a substantial swell and we could see the patients coming in and internal medicine and respiratory medicine were the two departments that were taking care of it and and we were there sort of the whole team it would be myself with uh, two of our consultants in respiratory and the internal medicine director with a few consultants 
uh, and, and all of us were just working day and night. Now, this was the first wave when we didn't know anything. We had, you know, very, right. very limited options to treat. But of course, it's a viral pneumonia and we have dealt with viral pneumonias. Nothing to this scale because this is a novel virus and we don't have any uh, existing immunity for it. So that is the that is how it is so different. So we treated and the first wave was actually all right. We could de- we could deal with it from April right through till December. I mean, it was it was the, one of the busiest, most intense phases of our life, no doubt. But the only good thing was that most patients got better. You know, whatever be the treatment, uh, you know, it was the antiviral remdesivir was used. Uh, steroids were used a fair bit. Then there were these anti-cytokine storm medications like tocilizumab, oxygen support, and other things. So a combination of all of these got most people better. Now, December, things, you know, petered out and everybody felt very uh, relieved. And of course, very prematurely, we kind of celebrated the fact that we had done an excellent job. I think the first wave was all right. We dealt with it. The government was very much clued into it. All the contact tracing, everything was done, I think, completely by the book. But we, you know, we just got complacent way too early. And so from January to March, there was this period when everybody thought, okay, we're, you know, we're doing good. And then, of course, the second wave, the second wave was a, was a frightening experience for anyone. And anyone who has gone through COVID, either as uh, on the patient side or the healthcare worker side, it was a frightening and it was a kind of a killer experience for everyone. So none of us were, I think, two months, two and a half months, we didn't sleep. We were up day and night, day and night, and people were sick and we were doing, you know, we were in hospital, we were doing on-call teleconsultations. And it was like the burden of disease was not going down. And this time it affected younger people, people in their 30s and 40s who had not got vaccinated because the guidelines first, you know, had the... Now, older people getting vaccinated. So they were not vaccinated. They were out and about because they had all joined back work and they came back this time really sick. And this time was scary because, you know, it, we we still had very limited medication, but whatever we had didn't help many. So we right. lost many patients, young patients, pregnant patients. So it was a it was something like we, you know, the first wave paled compared to the second wave. The second wave was something else. So it was... It was, uh, uh, you know, it was a, a very uh, devastating kind of an experience. I mean, I don't think all of us have still recovered from it. But the only thing to say is that I've worked with, you know, so many teams of our doctors and nurses over this lengthy period, if you take it from April 2020. And it's so, you know, so heartening to see everybody worked without a single complaint. Everybody just donned their PPE. And they got to got to business basically first thing in the morning. They worked through the day, went back home, came back next day, and it was like. And so I think there was that sense of, you know, doing what you have eventually. You know, ultimately that's what we've been trained to do. And yes, the intensity is tremendous, but this is what we were trained for. And there was some sort of you know deep kind of satisfaction or fulfillment that we could rise to do what we have, you know, been trained to do. So I think that was something that was extremely heartening for me. And not to mention patients who got better, you know, the how how grateful they were, how kind of, uh, you know, how, they, how we all just work together. You know, the public, I mean, the patient, the doctors, the management, everybody just became one team fighting this, right. you know, bad disease. So, yeah, there was a lot of bad, but a lot of good as well. 
So how has this catastrophic experience exactly affected or changed your mindset, if it has in any way? Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's a good question. Uh, it's difficult. I think, uh, I don't know that, you know, uh, human beings and, you know, everything that is human, you know, you we have short-term memory at the end of the day. Right. <laughs> so, yes, the what we went through was uh, was uh, terrible. And I think... Uh, and I think it affected our, all our health quite adversely, you know, in that sense, not so much right. mindset, but I know that, you know, both physically and mentally, not just myself, but so many of us just felt like, um, like we had really gone through a bad kind of trauma, you yeah, know, like you were drained and, out by uh, the end of it. After, yeah. So it is a bit of like, I wouldn't go as far as to call it PTSD, but bordering on that, I would say. Uh, And, you know, so not only uh, like COVID and then COVID ended and then post-COVID after the second wave was very bad as well. So it was two months dealing with even more sick people, people whose lungs were like, you know. So so I think uh, mindset-wise, well, I mean, see, you practice medicine and you rise to the challenge and when the challenge goes, then you ease off. So, you know, as humans, that's what how we function, right? right? When something, you know, when you have to do something, you do it whatever it takes out of you and then when that eases off you sit back a little bit and catch your breath and then if it comes back you know so like that so mindset wise I don't know I just look upon it as a very kind of defining moment I think in human civilization you know because we thought we were just so you know the human race was just so amazing and um, and you know doing all sorts but the way we just keeled over the might of nature and and if you really look into it in the kind of very philosophical sense it's probably also something worth thinking about that you know a man has just messed up messed with nature so much that this is probably just nature you know getting back and we really need to re-examine everything that we do the way we live you know the, as a as a as an individual and as an entire race and uh, and you know just make sure that we don't have to go through this extent of you know human suffering that we have right i completely agree with you over there and for my last question what would your advice be to the youth of today in terms of attitude towards success and growth in a medical career uh yeah that's uh that's again an interesting question you know ishan when we were growing up the only options that were available to middle class India was more or less, um, you know, engineering, medicine, law, maybe. And that was it. Of course, right now, I mean, which is a good thing, you know, we have evolved so much as a you know society, as a country, and now options are so many. And that's, again, a very good thing that, you know, it's not just limited and children can kind of decide, youngsters can decide what they want to be. They're not being a doctor per force just because of either the parents saying so or they're not... Um, you know, having options. Uh, however, answering your question about the youth today, so I think the first thing that you know you're good at something that you really want to do. So that's why I brought in this thing of having choice and options. That if you are, you know, if you are going to do medicine, um, that's great. I think it's one of the most fulfilling, uh, you know, things one can do with your with his or her lives. But it's very demanding as well. It's very demanding. You have to be ready for, I mean, and it's not just the, you know, the undergraduate degree of MBBS when you stay up night. You study for the rest of your life. You have to be uh, evaluating and updating and, uh, you know, researching uh, all your life 
along with clinical medicine. So you have to be completely committed. And you have to, apart from the scientific aspect, you need to have that, uh, you know, that compassion for patients. Again, I think that is something we often just forget in our day-to-day, you know, okay, just get on with uh, work and things. But to remember that the person sitting in front of you is actually, you know, is unwell. And that puts makes them so vulnerable. And you have to sort of just be able to feel that and, you know, relate to it and treat and advise accordingly. So I would say to the youngsters that, you know, be prepared for uh, a lot of hard work, but a lot of satisfaction as well, a lot of fulfillment. And uh, and yes, along with the science, remember to bring along your, you know, the, the kind and compassionate side of you as well. And both have to develop simultaneously. I think that was a beautiful answer. And thank you so much for your service, Mrs. Bhattata. And thank you so much for taking our time. Okay, thanks a lot, Ishan. Thanks for having me.